from Griffith University, I'm David Tuffley, and this is the Smart Society Podcast, the podcast that takes you on a guided tour of the high-tech world of today. I'd like to welcome to the Smart Society Podcast, Professor Paolo de Souza, who is a uh, among other things, uh, well-versed in the science of Mars. The mission, uh, the NASA mission, based, I think, at the Jet Propulsion Lab in California, was uh, somewhere where you had worked previously. And, um, well, if you would like, we could talk about some of the more interesting aspects of your uh, time at NASA, JPL. So, Paolo, uh, in your time there. What, what, uh, first of all, what did you um, do exactly with your time there? Yeah, my, oh, thank you very much for, for having me. Uh, my work there was associated to the Mars Exploration Hover Project that landed and operated two large hovers on the surface of Mars. Their nicknames are Spirit and Opportunity. They were supposed to work for three months each. Um, but they worked for, well, let's say, way beyond warranty for six years and for 14 years. And they transformed the way we see the evolution of that planet and how much we know about that. And definitely we can have a quick conversation about it. Uh, but my way of, of coming to the mission was because of my PhD. I did my PhD in Germany, uh, the University of Mainz with the group that was developing a spectrometer. I took up the challenge to develop a spectrometer to one of the missions. They were part of a consortium of a number of different organizations that joined forces with JPL, put together a proposal for NASA, and the leader of that mission was Professor Steve Squires from Cornell University. And the deputy uh, principal investigator is Professor Ray Atkinson from Washington University in St. Louis. And under their leadership, they put together this that became then this wonderful mission that I, I had the privilege to be part of. That is, uh, you know, to, to think that it had uh, a modest life expectancy, but it has exceeded that massively is a testament to good design and good execution and good delivery too. Um, there's, a, there's an old joke uh, going around that, at the moment, the entire population of Mars is robotic. Um, I suppose the question that many of us wonder is, when do you think, in practical terms, there will be a... Uh, uh, humans will land there and, um, and set up a colony of some kind? Yeah, it is going to take uh, a quite a while, I would say a few decades, for that to happen. Not to have, uh, let's say, a manned mission to, to Mars... Definitely the first one would be just like, let's say, Apollo 8, where you have a flyby and come back. Uh, so there might be an orbiter for some time, and you can't travel to Mars and just come back because the distance, the planets are moving relative to each other. And it takes 26 months for them to be back, mm-hmm. close again, close enough for you to fly back. Uh, and I safely and in a reasonable amount of time. So the best is to, to launch, wait for some time that you will be able to, to come back. 
that mission is likely to start from the moon. Uh, so this is why there is a lot of interest on the moon again, getting astronauts back, establish a relatively safe port, safe harbor, mm -hmm. which will be the moon. If anything goes wrong, it's really quickly to come back to Earth, mm -hmm. which will not be the case on Mars, and even if that would be possible, uh, it will take much longer time. So it is that the challenges are enormous. If I can make an analogy, going to the moon and establishing a permanent station on the moon, similar to what we have with the International Space Station, it's like crossing a, a Olympic pool swimming, going to Mars and establishing a, a, a permanent station there would be just like crossing the Indian Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. Right. <laughs> that puts yeah, it into perspective, doesn't it? It's a different scale mm. in terms of challenges, in terms of yeah. technology required, and I'm not sure if we do have all the technology yet yeah. to allow us to do that. Yeah, it does make sense to have the moon as a staging uh, area for back-and-forth missions. Um, I suppose what I've always wondered is, you know, one of the hardest things about space ex exploration is overcoming Earth's gravity and that most of the fuel and, ex and, and effort goes into getting the vehicle out of Earth's gravity and on its way. And various, various ways have been proposed. I mean, SpaceX have certainly got an interesting approach with their reusable space vehicles. Um, and there have been quite a few other proposals. But uh, still, there remains this challenge. And so from your perspective... What do you see being the most practical solution to, and I'm talking about, you know, many missions. If, if, if there's going to be a base, then there needs to be a lot of materials, a lot of stuff taken up, ready to go. Um, hundreds, thousands of, of, of missions. So what do you think would be the, the most efficient way of achieving that? Yeah, probably going to the moon establishing a permanent presence there, assembling as much as we can of, of rockets and, and payloads on the moon, mm. and then flying from the moon to, to Mars. So that it is probably the best way of doing uh, this. Mm. Uh, now, there are a number of other things here, but for example, uh, just to mention one, uh, the moon surface is rich in titanium. And if you are able to harvest that titanium from the oxides like humanite and, uh, and uh, rutile, you would be able then to produce pieces of, of equipment that might be required mm. using 3D printers. Mm. Uh, it is one interesting idea that has been explored. Mm. Uh, that just gives you a, an insight in manufacturing on the surface of, of the other rocket body like, like the moon and then mm. from there traveling to Mars. Mars does not have that much titanium there, so you, you need to bring uh, mm. pretty much almost everything. It's rich in iron. It has eight times more iron on the surface of Mars than you have on Earth. Uh, but being able then, and we do have the same minerals like hematite, for example. It's rich in hematite in some places. That is the same ore that we explore here in Australia uh, to, to, to 
reduces still. But there are a number of other things you need to have, a lot of energy, you need to have a source of carbon, and you don't have that. So mm. the best is to bring that. Other ideas would be to have something like a metallic meteorite or methyl. So on the surface of the planet, you have a lot of meteorites, so you would eventually be able to harvest them and mm. use that metal uh, mm. to produce tools, to produce pieces of equipment. But this is just one aspect of yeah. so many other things. Uh, communication uh, with with a base on the moon is much simpler because it can happen in real time. Oh, in real time. Uh, now, on the surface of Mars, you can't. Mars is so far away that it takes 20 minutes for the information to travel at speed of light to get there. It can get even further yeah. if the planet is away or might not be you might not be able to communicate with with anything on Mars, including astronauts on the surface, if you have Mars behind the sun, which happens uh, from time to time, and for a period of approximately two weeks, you won't be able to talk to any robots mm -hmm. on the surface, like our hovers, in a period of time that we can't talk to them. Mm -hmm. Yes, the uh, interesting thing there is that, yes, there are local materials on the Moon and on Mars, but... I understand there's also a lot of mineral wealth uh, in the asteroid belt, which uh, there is some talk of launching mining operations to uh, obtain such rare metals as palladium and, and other things that have a very high net worth, which would give commercial um, operators some kind of incentive to go to the asteroid belt and obtain that. So I suppose not everything has to come from Earth, uh, is my not point. Not at all. And uh, that is uh, a very active area of, of uh, consideration to explore uh, what is out there like meteorites or meteors in this case that would have those, those uh, elements that you would eventually be able to harvest uh, and make use of. Yeah. So, moving from um, the future of space exploration, um, we certainly do have a lot of uh, challenges right here at home, um, global challenges, and not least among them would be the future of education. Education in the digital age, in the cyber age, uh, is set to be uh, revolutionised. And as head of school of one of the more progressive uh, IT university schools, uh, I was interested to hear your thoughts on how you see the future of education delivery uh, going in, in the future. We're talking medium to long term here. Uh, just um, how, how you think that's likely to go. Let me try to, to frame what would be a vision again in terms of time. So you can say that in the future you would have all the information you need and knowledge in a microchip that you can go and implant in your brain. Uh, let's not talk to that too distant future and bring that a little bit closer to us. What I would see is uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, personalization of learning uh, and, and that level of personalization of the experience in the curriculum being adaptive to that level to give each student 
a the best possible experience, the best possible uh, outcome from education. Mm. It is one thing that is it's quite quite close to reality, I would say. Mm. How we in the classroom adapt to the curriculum experience lectures would know by just looking at the students if they are traveling or if they are really understanding the context, if they are engaging with that. But at the level of, of tailoring, it's, it's one aspect that we've been brought to. Even in a classroom with 50 students, each one will have a particular experience. It might be through the workshops that we do, will be through the uh, experience they will be invited to do in the workplace as part of their learning mm -hmm. journey. And and I believe learning will be a continuum, not just an end in a, in a certificate or a diploma at the end, but it has to be an adaptive way as well to continue that journey of professional development. Mm -hmm. And we see that with our grad certificates in cybersecurity. Data analytics and cybersecurity. When we have professionals that are working for 20 years, managers of, of IT departments coming back and having a fantastic experience because they can see how much that is adding value to their career and how that will open doors for them. Uh, education that it's fascinating, and people seek education for many reasons. But definitely looking for the next 10 years where, economically speaking, the entire world will suffer recession. Um, we need to be very pragmatic about our offers and, and how we're going to upskill people to fulfill the high demand of a specific marketplace. And that demand for jobs, definitely ICT is one of those, medicine is another one. We need to really build a curriculum that will bring skills, technical skills to that professional group to be mm -hmm. able to secure jobs and fulfill those roles. For example, in cybersecurity, it's, it's uh, impressive, the demand of the market. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely one area that we will continue investing. Yes, I can see that, uh, you know, the, the point is very it's a very good one that um, education is an ongoing process that as people move from level to level in their careers that they think to come back and upskill or, or do something that gets them to that next level and, and when a school leaver comes to university ideally uh, they become a lifelong customer or a lifelong uh, alumnus that uh, will keep coming back yeah, and within Griffiths, for example, we see a, a, a very active conversation about the Griffiths academic or graduates of the future. And this Griffiths graduate of the future is not just a professional coming out of a student, coming out of our schools uh, with technical skills, but the softer skills are the ones that will determine the success of that particular student in the marketplace. Yeah. So looking carefully after the development of soft skills during the course, it is not something you would learn in a given course. Mm -hmm. It has to be something that is embedded across the curriculum and how we develop communication skills, how we develop resilience, how we see our students getting better and better in time management mm -hmm. and working in groups. 
uh, all those being adaptable, mm. uh, being open to challenges, being optimistic, all these are important characteristics of a successful professional in the marketplace. Mm. So it is not just a technical part. We don't mess with that. We are very good at that, but also adding what is really important in the marketplace with the softer skills. Yes, well, that is uh, something that Griffith has always excelled at. Uh, uh, when I was working in industry in the 90s, uh, I used to talk to project managers and ask them what they liked about the various graduates from the universities in Brisbane. And most of them made the comment that Griffith graduates came with a full set of soft skills that were valuable to the employer, but which the, uh, the other students didn't tend to have. And uh, so, yeah, Griffith has had a long history of, of yeah, and had doing a hands-on approach. Yeah. So I know how to solve problems. Break the problem, I will find a solution. Mm. I will have my hands on that. So have that cool face of facing problems, mm. is solving little little problems and projects and working in projects. Yeah, it's also a very important part of the, the academic of, of, of let's say graduate of the future. And, uh, of course, the current pandemic is placing, well, an unprecedented amount of strain on uh, national economies. And uh, it, it, it looks very certain that um, everybody's economy is going to have to undergo a fairly radical shift to a new footing that uh, allows for the new way that people are working, which would be virtual. Uh, and to to our challenge, I, I see that is to basically equip students with not just the soft skills, but with the forward-looking skills of leadership and creativity and ethical thinking that will be in demand in that new economy. So there's a certain amount of crystal ball gazing, I suppose, uh, in all of this, but Really, I think the demand uh, is fairly clear for that sort of graduate. Yeah, and there is always in situations like this, there is an appetite for risk that increases naturally because you are already in a risky position. So, and you will see the benefits. There are two attitudes you can take towards a situation like we're facing, like a mm -hmm. pandemic, which will be, I would I would cry in front of the situation or I would sell tissues. Mm. So in every crisis there is an opportunity as well. And this one, it's, it's terrible. Uh, it's so many lives lost, uh, so many jobs lost, and there's the sense of loss so strong in our community, loss of, of freedom to go to the next state, uh, to visit a relative. Uh, it is, it is it's tough, and people might not appreciate how hard it is on everyone. But at the same time, it builds resilience and makes us strong, and makes mm -hmm. us stronger enough to take risks and, and, and bring in that perspective to our, our students. It is really important, and this is why we, we have so many meetings with students. We talk to them and say, look, if you finish your studies, say that I have the Masters of IT with Griffiths University. Uh, and put a, a little mark there with a footnote to say I did it during COVID times. Therefore, I am 
uh, resilient. Mm. I am adaptable. I have communication skills. And make them proud of the achievement uh, mm. because they should be. Mm. Absolutely. Now, I think there are interesting times ahead, but the opportunities will be many. And uh, I think we are well placed to meet those opportunities. Paolo, uh, just in closing, uh, what would you uh, what would you like to add to what we've talked about uh, so far? Yeah, for students out there, definitely they should be a student of life. They should read as much as they can about everything. Uh, be uh, aware of what is happening. Think about the news that are coming. Why that piece of information has come to me. Be uh, skeptical about information coming. Think about uh, what is happening around you. Mm-hmm. And one good source of information, you can read newspapers, you can read books, you can look at you know, interviews, you can listen to podcasts. But always reflect on that, be reflective of facts. And, and that will make you a person that will shine out there and not be just somebody guided by others' interests mm-hmm. or mm-hmm or stories, or whatever they want to sell. So just just keep studying. That is a key point. And, and be a student of, as I said, of life. Keep reading and mm-hmm. studying. Uh, that is the way uh, for a successful life. Excellent. Well, Paolo de Souza, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure.